This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Acts chapter 20. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20. Um, feel free to hop up and go grab one nearby uh, if you want to, or if you use one on, on a device, uh, just go ahead and scroll over to it. Acts chapter 20. I, I encourage you while you're, you're getting ready, uh, grab a pencil and something to write with. Um, I, I hope that today will be, will be helpful and instrumental and give you some, some things to process and uh, studies show that we learn and retain more as we, as we take notes and as we um, not only listen, but as we also write. Uh, it engages different senses, so I encourage you to take notes. Um, I, I like the Shinola journal, um, if you're wondering. Uh, it's my, my preferred choice. My, my buddy, Matt Felton, hey buddy, um, turned me on to these, and I'm like, yep, I'm Shinola, let's go. So Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And, and here's a question that I want you to think about. And I want you to think honestly, right? Because what, what, good, what good does it do to not be honest? So often, right, I think that we, we're just not honest with ourselves and with others. And then we wonder why we're not progressing or why we're struggling or why things aren't... Yeah. Because we're, we're kidding ourselves. We're, we're, we gotta be honest with ourselves and with others. It's okay to not be where we wanna be. That's life. We just don't wanna stay there. And not being honest with where we are means that we're gonna stay there. We're going to continue heading down that, that track until we're honest and make some changes. So here's the question. What do you want to be said of you when you're gone? What do you hope will be remembered about your life? Like, what would, How would someone define your life uh, when, when you're gone? Be honest. What, what do you hope will be said about you? Uh, that you were a loving daughter or mom or wife? That you were a faithful and hardworking husband and man? Um, maybe you want to be known as success, that you, you hope at the end people remember the successes that you built in life. Maybe you want to be known as someone who brought change, who, who attacks a project or, or an initiative and, and brought change about that. Uh, maybe you want to be remembered as a man or woman of, of God and that um, you, you hope people think of you and think of, a, of you as a person who prayed and who read and was diligent in their faith. Maybe you want people to remember you as an entertainer or, or someone you know, that everybody knew and, and everybody loved to be around. What do you want your life to be defined by? Here's what I believe. Here's what I, I, I believe. Uh, more than anything, on that day when, when, we're, when, we're, when we're gone and we're looking back, if, if that happens, what, more than anything, I think we're going to care. Whether we believe it today or not, whether we think about it or not, I think we're going to care what God has to say about us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I, I believe the Bible to be true. And, and so therefore, that, that verse is telling us that we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, and he's going to judge our lives. And at that point, 
I, I think everything that we thought was important is going to really start to pale in comparison. I, I think most of the things that, that we had ambitions for and dreams about, we're going to start filtering those through the lens of, did this matter to Jesus or not? Because in the end, I believe what we want to hear, I believe that we're created for this, we want to hear God say to us, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We all, we all love to, to hear people say that they're proud of us. Well done. I, I think in the end, what we're really going to want is that our lives, that, that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful, servant to the king. I, I truly believe that's what we're going to want. So what is your life today? What, what does it say that you're living for? Well, today, right now, what would, what would people say your life is is living for. If it's different than what you hope people to say, then the good news is we can change. We can make changes towards that end. But the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the, the proof is in the pudding of what our lives demonstrate. That is what we are living for. That is the end that we want to accomplish. And so what do our lives say that we want to be most important? What, what do our lives demonstrate that we want people to remember us by? And like I said, the, the great thing is that can change. We can't control what other people do. We can't control what's in the past, but we can control what we do today and going forward. And the incredible grace of God is that he seems to be more interested in what we do today and moving forward than what we've done in the past. Like that's, that's good news for someone who's hoping to make some change is that, that God's looking and saying, what are you going to do today? And how are you going to live going forward? That by his grace, there's always room for a new day and a redo. I mean, let's, Paul, the, the, the main subject of Acts chapter 20, as so much of Acts in the Bible, I mean, let's not forget his past, right? Like this guy that we're imitating and learning from, his past involves murder, his past involves false imprisonment, his past involves tearing apart families because he was persecuting the Christian church. And, and God's not sitting there saying, oh man, well, you did that, so you're kind of written off. No, God's looking at him and saying, you've repented, you've turned, and now look what your life is living for. So there's good news, there's hope that, that if our life today is not what we want it to be, that it can change. We, we can make some changes. When we look at Paul and we look here in Acts chapter 20, we see that what his life is about now, what his life is set towards, what matters most is a life of steadfast and faithful surrender to Jesus. That is the, the title, the summary, the, the main point of Paul's life is a life of steadfast, faithful surrender to the the King, Jesus. And that is the main point of today's message, that you and I will be so compelled, so convicted by Christ and by his love that we would live lives like Paul, devoted to a steadfast and faithful surrender to the King. That's my prayer. That's my, my hope. And so let's, let's, let's just take a second and pray. Let's just take a second and pray. Wherever you are, let's just pause and let's pray, Father, God, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to me right now as, as I'm reading this and, and teaching, God, that, that, that we would all be compelled by your love for us to, to live lives of love for you and love for others. Spirit, speak to us. May we not stay the same, 
but may we increasingly look like you. All we need is to hear your voice and to know your presence and your power. So God, move, please. In Christ we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, um, verses 18 through 35-ish. So when we get to this, this is Paul's emotional and, and passionate, heartfelt farewell message to the elders at Ephesus. So he, he's in, in Miletus, and he calls for the elders of Ephesus to come. And, and based on verse 25, um, Paul says, I, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul, Paul is convinced that he's going to sail away from this conversation towards Jerusalem, and that he's never going to see these men again. The men that he's going to hug and look in their eyes, the men that he's going to, to weep and share tears with, that, that these men Paul's not going to see again. These brothers in the faith, this family that has been built by Christ, Paul's convinced he's not going to see again. And so he's giving them one last message. Now, it's, it's good advice, it's good wisdom that when someone is giving their last words, when, when someone knows this is the last conversation they're going to have, we should probably really lean in and listen. You know, imagine that you're going to have a conversation with a loved one and you know it's the last time you're going to talk to them. I mean, you're going to pour your heart out. You're, you're going to choose your words wisely. You're not going to just talk about flipping stuff. You're going to talk about what matters. And Paul, he knows these are his last words. And so he pulls them close and he leans in and he passionately pleads with them. And in these verses, we're going to see, we're going to see what Paul's life was all about. We're going to see what Paul devoted his life to, what he wanted to be remembered about him. And we're going to see the evidence of that, what his life looked like that demonstrated that's where he was going. And then we're going to see his charge to the elders of Ephesus to live the same way. The elders are the pastors of a church in, in Ephesus, the leaders that God has called, and he's going to give them a direct charge. Now, this is important for us today because Paul gives us a model to follow and to live by. And because Paul also tells us what the pastors, what the elders in a local church should look like. And so this matters for us. So let's, let's start in verse 22. Paul says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. That's, thanks, thanks God. Like, that's, Paul knows. He's like, I, I know what awaits me, you know, of, of afflictions and imprisonment, but the Holy Spirit has told me to go. Like, God has told me, to go. I, I have to go. I have to do this. Like Paul, Paul doesn't see an option. Obedience to the king, obedience to Jesus is either obedience or it's not. If, if God says do this, you either do that or, or you don't. There's really no gray in that, right? I mean, you can imagine probably the well-wishers, the, the good intended people being like, Paul, why? If you know that you're going to be imprisoned, if you know you're going to be afflicted, why go? Like, why walk into that? And Paul's like, because my king has told me to. And if, if that's what he's told me to do, I am constrained by the spirit in me. That's what I have to do. You know, I think, honestly, I think so often, it's not a matter for us of if we know what God is telling us to do or not. 
mean, the, the Bible is a lot of times really, really clear and straightforward. The question is, are we willing to just surrender to obedience? Are we willing to just do what the king says to do, what our Lord says to do? And Paul is like, I'm constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what all is going to happen, but I know that God has told me, the Spirit has told me, imprisonment and affliction awaits me. And then he says this in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. I don't count my life as the the value of it being to my gain. He says, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knows that the road's about to be really difficult. He knows that he's about to walk into challenge and attack and persecution and hardship. He knows that that death most likely awaits. He's expecting to not see these people again. And he says, I don't account my life and my plans and what I want is what matters most. What I believe what matters most is fulfilling the call that God has given me is finishing the race that my Lord has given me in following in the footsteps of my King Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Paul, what matters most to Paul, what he wants his life to be marked by is a steadfast and faithful surrender to the King. He just wants to be faithful to what God has told him to do. More than anything else, more than comfort and pleasures in this world, he just wants to be faithful to what Jesus tells him to do. He wants to be obedient and steadfast no matter what. A steadfast and faithful surrender to the King Jesus. Why, Paul? Like, why are you wanting to lay your life down and surrender everything to Jesus? Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ constrains me, compels me, grips me. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says, I live my life for Jesus because he lived and died for me. I lay my life down because Jesus laid his life down for me and he rose to give me a new life, a new chance, a new way to live. And so the life I live, I now live for him. In Ephesians, when when Paul would later write to his friends a letter, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked. He's reminding his friends here that you were dead in your sins. You had nothing to contribute, nothing to give. You were dead spiritually before God. He says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that God has a rich love for us, even while we're dead in our sins, that is mind-boggling to me. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Man, why, Paul? You may ask yourself sometimes, why, Corey, should I surrender everything to Jesus? Why should I follow after him, even if it's hard, even if persecution awaits? Why? Because that's what he did for me. Because Jesus, even though I was still a sinner, Jesus, while I was actively in opposition to him, moved near in love to me to give me life. The only reason I have the promise of eternal life today and forever, the only reason I have a certain and secure hope is because Jesus laid down everything in order to lift me up. So the life I now live, I live for him. Because without him, I've got nothing. I've just got something that, that will end anytime that I can't hope in and trust in. So that is why. Man, Paul, he's, he's constrained by this. He's constrained by obedience and surrender to the king. Obedience and surrender to the one who was first obedient and surrendered everything for him. He wants to be faithful to Jesus because God, Jesus was faithful to his father to do everything we needed. To give us new life. This is the call of every single Christian, not just for Paul, not just for pastors. This is the call for every single Christian to live your life for the one who has made you his own. To faithfully surrender your life to the one who faithfully surrendered his life so that we could be given life. This is our call to surrender, to let go of everything. To let go of all sense of pride and self so that we can grab hold of Jesus. To die to ourselves so that we can live to him. Now, you, you may be thinking like, man, that sounds torturous. Like that sounds miserable to, to die to yourself, to let go of yourself. But the Bible says that, that Jesus came to bring us abundant life. That the fullness of joy is found in his presence. That that really everything we're looking for, the life we're looking for, is the one that is found when we lay ours down and grab hold of him. That's what we're created for. That's the life of joy. That, that in Christ we are given all the, the treasures of heaven. That the, that the full reward of Christ is given to us. So it's, not, it's really the life we're looking for. Jim Elliott, you've maybe heard his story. He was a 28-year-old man married to his wife, Elizabeth. They had a 10-month-old daughter. And he gave his life to serve the Alca Indians in Ecuador. The Alcas had never heard of Jesus. And they were known to be a violent and ferocious tribe. But Jim saw them as created in the image of God and valuable and and worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And so Jim and four others hopped in a plane and flew out to the jungle of Ecuador in order to, to meet and to, to live among and to share the name of Jesus with the Alcas. But they didn't get to do that much because on their third day there, the, some of the men from the tribe came out and speared to death all five of the missionaries, Jim being one of them. You might ask, why, Jim? Why, why leave your wife and 10-month-old and daughter back at home? 
Why risk so much? In one of Jim's journals, he wrote, before this time even, but it, it shows what really what convicted him and what compelled him. He wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, Jim knew that the, the real treasure of life, the real reward of life that can never be taken away was the reward that is found in Jesus and stored up for him in heaven. And so he, he just saw the trade-off. He, he, he knew he couldn't keep his life anyways. So why not be willing to hold on loosely to it and in exchange grab hold of the eternal life and the eternal reward that was promised for him? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what Paul saw, is that the real reward, the real treasure in life is not in a life that's precious to myself, but in a life that is devoted to faithful surrender to the king. That is where life is. That's what we're created for. And so that's our call. If you are a Christian, that is our call, is full surrender, full faithfulness, day in and day out to Jesus. Now, it, it may not be a martyr, as Jim was. Probably won't be. It, it may not be as a prisoner, as Paul was. It, it probably won't be. It may not be as a pastor or as a, a, a foreign missionary. It Odds are probably won't be. Your call is not to be Paul or to be Jim or to be Corey or to be anyone else. Your call is to be you, who God has made you to be, where God has placed you to be, but faithfully surrender to Jesus day in and day out how God has created you and placed you to be. I listened to a podcast of, of this mom. Uh, shout out to moms, by the way. Happy Mother's Day to you. Um, thank you for keeping us alive um, and, and enduring with us so that we can be here today and, and have a chance. Uh, we appreciate you moms. Y'all are the best. Um, listen to this podcast of a mom who she was convicted that faithful surrender for her to Jesus was loving and serving and discipling her teenage daughter and her daughter's friend. Like she was just convicted that God called her to disciple her teenage daughter and all of her, her daughter's friends. That was a faithful surrender to Jesus as a mom. And so what is that for you? Today, what does it mean? What does it look like to be faithfully surrendered to Jesus? If you're single, then you, that doesn't look like being a married person. It, it looks like using the time you have as a single person that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 is a gift, using that time that freedom and devotion to the Lord. Now, what, how you do that, I'm not sure, but it's, it's not turning that inward to play video games or just be a, you know, a, an adult child. It's, it's using that time and devotion to the Lord. If you're married, part of faithfully surrendering to Jesus is loving your spouse as Jesus loves your spouse so that your spouse can know and see Jesus more because they're married to you. That, that people watching your marriage would see the love of Christ in your marriage. If you have a job, I don't care what that job is. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a temporary job, if you're hoping to get a new job. If you have a job today, then your, your call of faithful surrender is to work as unto the Lord, to work diligently and with integrity and with character for the good of others in a way that honors the Lord. You know, if, if you are a neighbor, then, then your call is to be faithfully surrendered to Jesus by loving your neighbor, by, by sharing the gospel and making disciples. 
Our job today, this is a very practical takeaway. So if you have your pencil, just go ahead and write this down. This would be a great practice, um, one that I, I really want to implement for myself, is to wake up every day, to grab God's words, to, to read them and to pray with them, and then to ask, Lord, what do you have for me today? Just to, to read and to pray and then to sit, and, sit in, in his voice and say, all right, Lord, what do you have for me today? And then, and then obey. Obey what he tells you here. Obey what he tells you in prayer. That's a life of faithful surrender where you are each day, day in and day out. Lord, what do you have for me today? And obey. That's, that's all Paul is doing. His story just may look a little different than yours and mine, but that's all he's doing. Talk is cheap, y'all. My, my old pastor used to say, you do what matters most to you. Everything else is, is just talk. Talk is, talk is cheap. We're going to do what matters most to us, which is why we have to start with our heart. What do we truly want? Do we truly want to live a life of faithful surrender or not? Do we want to live for him who gave his life for us? Have you received this gift? Have you trusted in this? Are you following after him? And if so, are you willing to truly surrender all to him, to live a life of faithfulness? So let's say yes, you're ready. You want to do that, and I believe you do. What does that look like? Let's look in verse 18. Paul says in verse 18 through 21, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Turn over and go over to verse 33. It says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is not an exhaustive list, but three things we see in the life of Paul that, that we can model, that we can apply to ourselves as a life of faithful surrender. And also, these three things are what every pastor should be living as well. And so if you see for, for Mike and myself, the pastors of Austin Life, if you see us not living up to these three things, then we invite you to gently correct us, point us back to this and say, hey, hey. We're not seeing this. This is not lining up. So this is, this is Paul's model to other pastors, but it's also for us to follow as well. It's also for us to live out as well. And the three things we see here are selfless love to others, a commitment to only speak what is true and profitable, and generosity. Selfless love to others, a commitment to only speak what is true and profitable, and generosity. So first, selfless love for others. Now, now, before we talk the specifics of this, look at the start of verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility. Let me first say that our love towards others is our love to God. 
that, that we most tangibly demonstrate our love and our service to the Lord by our love and service to others. Our vertical love for God is seen in our horizontal love for others. In 1 John, John says, it is, you cannot say you love God and not love your brother. You're a liar. Either you love God and love your brother, or you hate your brother and you hate God. The Bible is very clear that how we treat people horizontally is how we are treating God vertically. How we love people horizontally is how we love God vertically. And this also gives us what we need to love those that are difficult, to love our enemies, because we know that in loving them, we're actually loving God. Our motivation and our focus is first on, okay, God, I'm going to serve and love you by loving these people. And you love everybody, therefore I love everybody. So that has to be our motivation first when it comes to selflessly loving others, is that we are serving the Lord in that way. It is our act of worship. So how do we see Paul selflessly loving Others. First thing he says is, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul had an incarnational ministry. He, he moved near to people. His love wasn't at a distance. His love wasn't on some high and lofty seat. He didn't keep his hands dirty from the mess of people's lives. Paul moved near and he moved into the lives of people. He got their mess on him. He, he, he felt and walked in the griminess of real life so that he could minister to real people. He lived among them. This is what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. He didn't have to step in that role. He had the right to sit back as the leader, as, as the Messiah, and then come and wash his feet. But instead, he reached down and grabbed their dirty feet, and he washed their feet, and he wiped their mess on his clothes. He took their mess into his lives because Jesus moved near to live among people. Come on, y'all. We all want to be loved like that. We we all want people to to move near to us when they see us suffering, not not to stand back from a distance and be like, hey, I hope you're doing all right. Like, keep it up. Best best of luck to you. No, we want someone who's going to walk into the mess with us and and put our arm over their shoulder and just, just walk with us. That's what we want. So we desire to not be alone in it. And so that's what we're called to do as well. Selfless love that, that serves the Lord in faithful surrender doesn't keep a distance, but moves near, lives and walks among one another. Do you share life with others? All others. Are you moving near to people or do you tend to keep your distance and stay away? Are you loving people well or are you trying to keep yourself clean and not let their, the mess of their lives get, get on you? And let, me, let me just go ahead and say, you got your own mess too, right? We all have our own messes. So let, let's not act like we're, we don't have it. We do. Let's love each other well. Pastors, pastor, do you live among your people? Are you approachable? Do you approach others? Or, or are you off in your, your spiritual room by yourself? And Paul, he lived among them as someone faithfully surrendered to Jesus. The second thing we see is that selfless love puts on humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. Man, y'all know how I feel about humility. 
We did a sermon series on it. Steph taught a lady study on it. I mean, I was all about this, this book by Andrew Murray, creatively titled Humility. If you don't have it, message me. I will mail you a copy. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Humility is the X factor to selfless love. It is impossible to love others selflessly if we're being selfish. Humility is the disappearing of self so that God may be all in and through me to others. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing in order to shine the spotlight on yourself, but instead seek to shine the spotlight on God and on others. Do not put yourself first, but put others first. Do not lift yourself up, but empty yourself in order to lift others up. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not putting yourself down or letting yourself be a floor mat. It's not keeping your mouth shut and never speaking up. It is speaking up. It is doing the right thing. It is fighting for what's true. It is expressing your feelings and opinions and beliefs, but it's starting with others. It lets others go first. It feels and experiences for others first and then presents for yourself. And humility is the way of heaven. It is the way of Jesus who left his rightful place in heaven in order to come and live among us and to serve us, to lift us up while he was brought low. It's the way of Jesus. It's the only way we can selflessly love others. And by Christ in us, here's the thing that blows me away. We can actually do that all the time. It's just a question of if we will choose to be humble towards others. But Christ makes us able. He gives us that ability. So selfless love that is faithfully surrendered to the Lord is humble. Do you, here's another practical thing for you to do. Go and ask your roommates or your spouse or some of your close friends. Just ask them. Tell them to be honest. Say, hey, am I humble? Do you see me as a humble person? And if not, in what ways do I not practice humility so that I can change those? It's a bold question, but I think sometimes we got to let other people call out our blind spots. Pastor, does your life, does your ministry ooze humility? Are you more interested in shining the spotlight on Jesus or on yourself? Are you more interested in the good of others or in your good? Humility, pastor, is a way of selfless surrender, of faithful surrender to Jesus. The third thing we see with selfless love is that it comes with tears. Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Man, it, look, man, it's okay to cry. It's okay. Let, let, let it go. Paul, read this dude's letters, and Paul was a passionate, emotional man. He cried for his people. It's okay. It's okay not to cry as well, right? Like, you don't have to force yourself to cry. What, what we see with Paul is that he cared, like, really deeply cared for people. I mean, he, he cared for their good. Like, he empathized with them. He felt with them. When, when Mary got a promotion, man, Paul was there just cheering her on. She, he wasn't jealous of her promotion. When, when, when Tom's son walked away, man, Paul grieves with Tom and he hurt with Tom. When Sarah was being celebrated, Paul was celebrating. 
Right When Billy and Jan's marriage was in the pits, Paul got in the pits and felt that with them. Paul cared for people. He empathized with people. He, he felt their hurt, and he was burdened for their good. He wanted them to thrive so much. And so tears would, would shed because he just wanted to, just wanted the best for people. Do you, do you care for people that way? Like really care for them? Do you want what's best for them? Do you hurt with them and rejoice with them and weep with them? Do you feel their burden and their pain? Paul, man, he felt it. He cared for them. Jesus, he wept over Jerusalem. He had compassion for the mother who was burying her son. And Jesus felt for others. He was burdened for their good and their well-being. Selfless love that is faithfully surrendered to Jesus, it, it cares, it feels, it has emotion for others and for their well-being and for their good. Pastor, do you long for the good of your church? Are you burdened for the well-being of others? Do you care for them? Do you cry over their hurts as well? Fourth, selfless love endures. Paul would serve the Lord with trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. I mean, love someone long enough and you're going to have some hard times. Be in a relationship long enough, endure with people long enough, and there's going to be some hard roads. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some pain. If, if you're in a relationship and you've not felt these trials and this pain, um, it, that's not necessarily wrong. It just means it hasn't been that long. But live life long enough and you're going to face trials. One of the ways we know if our love is selfless and sincere is will we stick around? Will we stay and fight for that relationship? Will we stick around for the other's good? Selfless love stays, and it fights for reconciliation. Now, I'm not saying that you need to stay in harm's way or you need to be um, abused and, and, and you know, a floor mat and just walked over, but, but I do think that we need to be very careful to not take off and bail from relationships too soon. We see the divorce rate is so high in part because we get to these feelings where we don't feel in love anymore or we don't feel the attraction and we go, ah, oh, I don't love this person anymore. I'll move on to someone else. I'll take off only to find that the same thing happens there too. Selfless love endures and it stays. It, it gets hit from someone and it forgives and pursues reconciliation. It does the hard work of reconciling, of enduring trials in order to maintain that relationship. Jesus, he endured. He endured the trials. He endured the cross. At any point, he could have called a legion of angels to end that, but he stayed and he fought, and we are the recipients of that. We are given new life because he endured. And so faithful surrender to Jesus endures. Are you enduring? Are you sticking it out? When people rub you the wrong way, are you pursuing reconciliation? When your church lets you down, are you sticking it out and, and fighting for what is good and for the good of others? When your marriage is not what you thought it would be, are you going to stay and fight for that marriage that honors the Lord? Selfless love, faithfully surrendered to Jesus, endures. Pastor, it will be hard. It will be really, really hard. Will you stay? And will you endure? Unless Jesus tells you to go, will you stay and will you endure as Jesus did?
Faithful surrender to Jesus means we walk in selfless love. We, by our presence, by our humility, by our, our tears, and by our trials. Will you be present? Will you humble yourself? Will you care for others and will you endure? The, the next thing we see in this faithful surrender to Jesus is that Paul was committed to speaking the truth. He says in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and, and, and we should be surrendered to a life of truth, committed to, to only speaking what is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John said that Jesus was the perfect blend of grace and truth. His words, his life are truth. If we're going to faithfully surrender to his ways, then we have to faithfully surrender to truth. We have to speak the truth. We have to live truth. And when we don't, we have to repent and correct it and return to truth because that is what is profitable and built up. That is the way of Jesus. For, for Paul and for pastors, that's both a public declaration of truth and a private declaration of truth. That's both in the gathering on Sundays and in homes and in small groups where their content, their message is truth, is the word. So we must hold tight to that. And look, it, it'll be tough sometimes because sometimes when especially it seems like, gosh, our numbers are not going where we thought or we want to see more results. I mean, we, sometimes we'll just try to tickle people's ears, right? We'll just talk about a good message or a good story or we'll just be more concerned about what grows and, and we'll, we'll kind of stray from this. Or sometimes speaking this truth is hard and it's going to upset some people. and It's going to ruffle some feathers. But we have to maintain integrity to what this word says. We have to speak the truth and be committed to the truth. And the same is true for you. Paul, he would write to his friends in Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Well, let me say that again. Let no corrupting talk, no talk that would corrupt another, but only only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion that, I, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words build others up or tear others down? In Colossians, Paul says, But now, speaking to people who are faithfully surrendered to Christ, now that you are faithfully sur surrendered to Christ, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. To be faithfully surrendered to Jesus is to boldly and steadfastly speak what is true and what is profitable to building others up. And when we mess up, which we will, we confess and repent, seek forgiveness and return. And we, we go back again to speaking what is true and profitable. The, the epicenter of this message of truth, he says, repentance towards God and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to speak of repentance towards God and a faith in Jesus. The, the message of the Bible is that we have all turned away from God and gone after our own ways. 
And that is sin, and that puts an obstacle in between us and in our relationship with God. And as you and I know, for a relationship to be reconciled, that obstacle in between has to be resolved. It has to be forgiven. It has to be removed. And so by our sin, we put an obstacle of treason in between ourselves and God. And the message of repentance is turn away from going your own way and turn to God. Okay, but how do we get restored to God? By faith in Jesus who removes our sin, who forgives our sins on the cross. He restores us fully into the presence of God. That's the main message our lives and our words to communicate. It's, hey, turn from yourself and trust in Jesus and he will forgive your sins and restore you to life with God. Have you believed that message? Have you believed it? Is that a message you share with others? That you speak a faithfully surrendered life to Jesus will speak truth always and often. And a faithfully surrendered life to Jesus is generous. Paul said, as we read at the end near 33 through verse 35, is that he was generous. It was more beneficial to give than to receive Paul says of himself and of other elders and pastors, don't be greedy. Work hard in order to be generous, in order to be able to give to others. What we have been given is meant to be given away to others, meant to be shared. It's better to give than to receive. A life faithfully surrendered to Jesus is generous as Jesus is generous. And 2 Corinthians 8 says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus left his full wealth of heaven in order to come take on our poverty so that we could receive his full wealth of heaven. Jesus is the most generous example. Therefore, we are called to be generous. Are you a generous person? Are you giving to the church? Are you giving to friends? Does your life just emit generosity to your neighbors and to your coworkers and to your family? Are you more interested in giving than receiving as Jesus was? That is a life faithfully surrendered to Jesus. And so this is the the life that Paul models. This is what it looks like to faithfully surrender to Jesus. It's selfless love. It's a life of truth and speaking truth, and it's a life of generosity. This is what we are called to and invited to live out. Now, I want to draw your attention to a couple more verses, and I know that we've been going for a while, but um, we're, we're almost there. Verse 28, Paul speaks directly to the pastors of the church in Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Look, that's the primary job description of a pastor. Pay careful attention to yourselves, not for your own glory, but so that you can be an overseer and caregiver to the church. He's not saying, you know, make a name for yourself or or make yourself great. He's just saying, take care of your own well-being, your own heart. Take guard your, your heart with the Lord so that you can care for and oversee the church that God has called you to, which he obtained with his own blood. I read that and I can't help but notice the high cost, the extreme high value of the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. Now, let me make a distinction. Paul is talking about those who are a part of the church, those who 
are the church of God. There is a huge difference in going to a church and being the church. There are a lot of people in this country, in this world, who go to a church, but they are not the church. Look, if I go to the Spurs-Lakers game next year, right, and I go to the game and I'm watching the teams, there's a huge difference between me and LeBron James, right? Like, we're both at the same game. We're both watching the game and a part of it, but I'm just watching it. I'm not on the team. LeBron James is on the team. There's a huge difference, right? To, to go to the game, we both showed up at the game. I'm just watching LeBron James is participating. He's on the team. So there's a huge difference in just going to the church and being the church, being grafted in a part of God's family. And so he's talking to those who are a part of God's family. Paul is an overseer to give care to those who are a part of the church. Well, so how do you become a part of the church? Not just an attender of the church, but a true member of God's family. How do you become a part of that? Well, again, we go back to the same message, that, that our sins have to be forgiven. It's not that we're good enough that we become you know, more skilled and a better religious person. It's that our sins are forgiven and we're brought into the family of God. And that cost a price. It cost a price for our sins to be forgiven, and that price was the blood of Jesus. Now, I know sometimes we, we, we read this and we're like, why does this talk about the blood of Jesus? Like, that's kind of strange. We don't talk about that in normal days. From the very beginning, God said that the, the wages of sin is death. What we earn for our sin is death, is separation from God. It's the we commit treason against God, what we earn is death. But he gives us a way out. He gives us a way of reconciliation. In, in Exodus, when, when God is removing his people from slavery in Egypt, he, he sends 10 plagues. And the 10th plague is his judgment in all of Egypt for sin. And his judgment for that sin is that he's going to send an angel of wrath through Egypt to kill the firstborn of every family even every animal, like the firstborn, the angel of wrath is going to kill for sin. The wages of sin is death, but there's a way of escape. There's a way of life. Instead of the firstborn dying, God says, if you trust me, if you have faith in me, you can kill a spotless lamb instead. And you take the blood of that lamb and you smear it across your door. And when the angel of wrath comes in, that blood covering your household will be a marker, will be a sign that you are a people who have trusted me. And instead, the angel will pass over your house and no one will die in that house because the lamb died in its place. It's the blood that covers the house that is the marker of faith. Well, Jesus is called the, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He came to die in our place so that when we trust in Jesus, his blood covers us. And God's wrath against sin passes over us because the blood of the land, the blood of Jesus, is what covers us. We were bought with a price. Our salvation, our eternal life was bought with a price, and it was the death of God's one and only son, Jesus. There's a high value in his church. If you are a Christian, there's a high value that God has for you. If you're not a Christian, God has paid a high price.
for you to be saved, to receive that gift and to trust what Jesus has done. He's paid a high price. And if you're a pastor, God has paid a high price for his church. You do not take lightly the calling that he's given you. You do not casually pastor and lead his church, which he bought with his own blood. We do not flippantly prepare. We do not flippantly go about our work as overseers. God has entrusted us to care for his church, whom he bought with his blood. That's, that's my calling. That's Mike's calling to care for and oversee God's church, God's people. We will do the best we can, but we'll also let you down. We just will. We're people. We're not the true shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. We're meant to point you to Jesus, but that is our heart, is to point you to Jesus, the true shepherd. But we ask, give us grace. Pray for us. Encourage us. Help us. Strengthen us. Because it is a great task to be an overseer of the church that he bought with his own blood. But that's the call of the pastor. That's the call of the elder. Life faithfully surrendered to Jesus. That's what Paul was about. I believe that's what we want to be about. So how do we do that? I know this is going to sound too simplistic, but it's faith. We come into a relationship with God by faith, and we walk in that relationship of surrender by faith. We trust that His Spirit is in us and gives us everything we need, and we walk in faith, and we'll see that He's already faithful, that He's already there. And we do what is right. So the question now is, is for us. What do we want our lives to be about? What do we want our lives to be about in the end? I hope that in your heart, you truly want it to be a faithful surrender to Jesus. And if so, then it just comes down to walking in obedience, loving others, speaking truth, being generous with our lives. And I believe in the end, we will hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.